Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Sam Byrne, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of our iClarity podcast. Just a heads up about today's show. Uh, We have a a couple of listeners uh, asking questions about whether dental care affects our eye health, and can DMSO help us uh, reverse cataracts? Also on the show today, we're going to be getting questions from two parents uh, who have children that have developed myopia, and they want to know what can be done uh, instead of just giving stronger glasses. So stay tuned to the show. We have a great one today. Take care. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Sam Byrne, and I'd like to welcome you to another iClarity podcast. Uh, we have a uh, some really good questions today. So I'm going to take a question from Richard, who uh, has just had some dental work done on his mouth. And he's complaining that his left eye cannot focus up close and his right eye can't focus at distance. He also has a developing cataract. And he wants to know whether it's safe for him to use a compound called DMSO. He's using using lots of different remedies because he wants to avoid uh, cataract surgery. Well, Richard, let's start off with the connection between uh, dental care and eye care. And then we're going to address the right eye, left eye situation, and then we'll get into the DMSO. So one of my uh, favorite uh, specialties is something called biological dentistry. And this is a a specialty in dental care where the dentist actually um, works in a very holistic way in including your overall health and wellness in the conversation with oral health. And if you were to go to a biological dentist, the initial appointment is is mostly a fact-finding mission where the dentist uh, does a lot of uh, interesting evaluations to include um, an overall picture on improving your dental health, but at the same time, connecting that to to your overall health and wellness. So one example is is that uh, these dentists use compatibility testing if they're going to put any fillings into your mouth. Uh, and they tend to want to take out the amalgam fillings because, you know, the mercury that, uh, you know, allopathic dentistry uh, uses is very toxic. And if dental amalgams have been in your mouth a long time, uh, this can actually lead to heavy metal toxicity. So there is a very strong connection with um, dental health and eye health. And so when, Richard, you're asking this question, you've just had some uh, dental health, dental care uh, surgery done on the right side of your mouth, and your right eye is now a little blurry, Uh, certainly there could be a connection there. One of the modalities I like to use is something called craniosacral therapy. And the craniosacral therapy is a a gentle... um, uh, body work that helps uh, in the connection of the cerebral spinal fluid in the brain 
and the movement of the bones in the head and the jaw, the mouth, the teeth, uh, with the spinal cord and the sacrum. And so it's a very holistic treatment that if you've had uh, any kind of dental care, getting some craniosacral therapy afterward can be a fantastic way at uh, you know releasing any trauma in the mouth that affect uh, that could affect not only your teeth but also your eyes. Now, when you speak about how one eye is corrected for distance and the other eye is co- uh, corrected for near, uh, this is something called monovision, <clears throat> and it could be Richard that you know you've had this condition or this tendency for a while, but the dental care maybe because of the stress uh, or the toxicity, has triggered a more profound monovision expression between the right eye and left eye. But basically, your eyes are splitting, and this is very uh, difficult for the brain to use both eyes together. Now, the last thing you want to do if you actually decide that you're going to need cataract surgery is to get the monovision, monovision surgery in the, uh, the cataract surgery, because if you do that, um, what you're going to do is you're going to suffer uh, problems with depth perception, and um, this is going to be a challenge that's going to be hard to overcome. Now, I understand that you're doing a lot of natural and holistic methods, uh, like the homeopathic cineraria, you're um, getting foods with glutathione and vitamin C, um, but one of the questions you have is about DMSO, and I'm, I've been getting more and more questions lately about this. DMSO stands for dimethyl sulfa, uh, dimethyl sulfa oxide, and the short term for that is DMSO, which is a prescription medicine. It's also a dietary supplement. You can actually take it uh, by mouth, so you can do it orally. You can also apply it to your skin. There is even some DMSO now that's um, put into eye drops. And to go through some of the, uh, you know, effective, uh, uh, the, the effects of DMSO on our health, uh, DMSO may be supportive uh, to use if you have certain kinds of infl- infections or inflammation, uh, like bladder infections, Uh, Also, if you're suffering chronic pain, uh, DMSO sometimes can help reduce the pain. DMSO has been used for um, herpes zoster. This is shingles that can occur on the skin. And uh, it also has been found to uh, perhaps reduce uh, any skin expression that that occurs, uh, any skin conditions that may erupt, uh, possibly due to, you know, um, toxicities or, or just uh, skin irritations. You know, in looking at the research of DMSO and the eyes, I, um, I, am, I have found uh, mixed results with DMSO as it is used in the eyes. And, you know, the treatments that I uh, recommend uh, are time-tested. In other words, I have used them over, oh, two and a half, three decades in private practice. And I'm always looking at the, the science literature to see, well, what are the, 
you know, what are the studies out there? What are the long-term effects? And this goes for anything that I'm using. Uh, but the DMSO um, is something that, in, in my belief, is that the jury is still out. And the thing that I would caution you about is to do too many things at one time. You know, I have lots of patients who, you know, have cataract, they have the cataract diagnosis, and they're doing everything under the sun uh, that they read on the internet. And I think that our bodies are designed to metabolize these things um, in small amounts and not to do everything at once. So, you know, one of the one of the things you could do, Richard, is you could go to a kinesiologist, somebody that does uh, muscle testing, and see what the energy compatibility is with these different products that you're interested in. You know, I understand that your lifestyle is good, you practice yoga, and you feel your general health is, is really uh, tops. But, you know, cataracts is... Um, a reflection of some level of oxidative stress that's accumulating in the lens of the eye. And so this is um, a wake-up call that somewhere in your system, in your body, that perhaps doing some kind of a detoxification program, uh, maybe getting an assessment and seeing are you getting enough diverse probiotics in your intestinal system, you know, how are you managing your stress? What is your sleep like? And specifically looking at your visual stress, uh, certainly your description of the monovision where one eye is uh, distance and one eye is focused at near is a very stressful situ situation for your eyes. And you want to see if you can get both eyes to start working together. And this is where, since you do exercise already, you might consider uh, doing my physical eye therapy exercises as a way to teach your eyes and brain to work together. So I hope this information is helpful. Um, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not saying that uh, DMSO is something that you shouldn't look into, but what I am saying is that, uh, you know, you, you really want to check the source of the DMSO and see if it's actually energetically compatible for you. All right, the next listener is asking a question about uh, her child who's got myopia. Her name is Anush, and her child has high myopia, 12 years old. Is there a way that you can slow it down or stop it? Do you think acupressure or acupuncture could work? Okay, well, myopia is a condition where we begin to lose our distance acuity. It, it blurs out in the distance, and the focusing world is about 14 inches, 16 inches. Anything beyond that is blurred vision in the distance. It's a pulling in of the visual world. And when you go to an eye doctor, he or she is going to prescribe a minus lens, a negative lens, which actually is going to tighten up the eye muscles even more, and it perpetuates the compression and the tightness that myopia uh, shows us. Now, for kids, if they do a lot of digital time, iPad, uh, iPhone, video games, uh, or reading, 
uh, although you know we're moving more into the digital world with kids, this is uh, creating a visual confinement in visual space, and this is exactly what myopia is. You know, there was a study done many years ago by a uh, researcher named Francis Young, and he took a group of Eskimos, and none of them were nearsighted, and he educated them, and they all became nearsighted. So there's a correlation between how much we, how much we read and do close work and uh, going through school and then becoming nearsighted. It's a tough one because when children really get zeroed in on their near-point work and they're showing that myopic tendency, it is difficult to break the pattern. One of the things that you can do is to, re to get a reduced prescription for reading, a 20-40 prescription, and that would be done for up close. Uh, when you wear a distance prescription for reading, that's going to induce more myopia. That's pretty obvious. So you want to get a reduced prescription that your child would use just for reading and digital time. Now, in addition to that, I would probably uh, start in on my physical eye therapy exercises. And, you know, there's a real connection between how we motor, how we move, and how we develop our vision. And so getting a lot of big muscle movement, uh, this could be things like taekwondo or swimming uh, or just going outside and you know, playing a lot of sports, uh, things like soccer and, um, you know, doing some motor activities like hopping and skipping and jump rope. You know, these are being lost today because of the digital world. And you've got to break the pattern of um, just uh, allowing your child to do the near point work. There's something called visual hygiene. And this was uh, actually developed by a man named Daryl Boyd Harmon. And he did some research at Ohio State many years ago, uh, back, I think, in the 1950s. And in some of his research, he took a look at how posture and, uh, you know, where we actually hold our reading material and how that affected our stress levels, especially in our eyes. So he came up with something called the Harmon distance. And in that uh, Harmon distance, he basically said that um, if you make your fist and hold it under your chin and uh, you measure it from the knuckle to the elbow, that's the optimal distance you should be holding your reading material. And if you start pulling it in closer than that, that could induce vision problems, including myopia. Another thing to take a look at is the diet. Uh, you know, people that uh, become myopic, they tend to have uh, irregular glucose levels. And so the uh, reduction or elimination of sugar, uh, I may even consider uh, going gluten-free, dairy-free, sugar-free, Lots of antioxidants. Again, with kids, sometimes you have to do something like a, a, morning, a morning smoothie, which has all the antioxidants in it, because you don't know what's going on in terms of school lunches and snacks. But it's those sugary, sugary foods that actually can uh, you know, cause our eyes to go downhill, and myopia is one of those conditions. Uh, so a good multivitamin, B-complex, including 
trace minerals like zinc and uh, magnesium, selenium, chromium, really important fats and oils, omega-3 specifically. Now, you asked about acupressure and acupuncture. It's difficult sometimes to use a lot of needles on kids. I'll have to say that's that can be challenging. Certainly any kind of massage, acupressure, craniosacral therapy, anything to keep the lymph system moving, to relax the compression in the body, yes, those things could definitely support uh, a slowing down of myopia. Uh, but it's definitely a time in a, a child's life, especially if they're really enjoying near, near work, you know, whether it's the digital time or reading, uh, to really slow down the, uh, the progression of myopia, uh, it's a tall order. So best of luck to you, and thank you so much for the question. All right, the next listener is asking a question about whether the MSM drops can enter the anterior chamber of the human eye. Um, she doesn't really say what she's uh, inquiring about, but what I'll say about MSM eye drops, these are the sulfur-based eye drops, and they're fabulous. They're anti-inflammatory. They improve collagen health. I've had some cases where MSM eye drops can actually dissolve the floaters. But MSM actually have been shown to soften the membranes, and they allow the fluids, the fluid, to penetrate the eye tissue. And if we take a look at the anatomy of the eye, uh, what we're concerned about is the permeability of the cornea where the eye drops can actually penetrate uh, both the internal lining of the eye, the conjunctiva, the cornea, especially with the tears that are going on that are washing any eye drops away. But the MSM eye drops tend to have a very, uh, a very positive effect on reducing inflammation and improving the corneal permeability so that, in fact, they can penetrate to the anterior chamber. And just for those of you that don't know what the anterior chamber is, it is, a, it is actually a fluid-filled space um, inside the eye, so it's behind the cornea, and it's between the iris and the... Uh, and the um, the deepest layer of the cornea called the endothelium. So it's still kind of in the front part of the eye. And people with issues with anterior chamber problems uh, can have uh, issues either with glaucoma or uveitis, uh, which, which uh, glaucoma is a vascular disease that affects the, the fluid flow. And... Um, Uveitis, I've talked about that in other shows. This is the internal lining of the eyeball that can get inflamed. Uh, this can be connected to an autoimmune disease as opposed to glaucoma being more a vascular disease. So by itself, I don't think MSM eye drops are going to uh, treat these conditions. Uh, they're certainly going to support your eyes to have uh, better lubrication, moisturization without the side effects of the regular eye drops you get at the drugstore, which actually dry your eyes out even more. Uh, but you may need to do some other things as well, uh, like increasing your fats and oils and making sure you're getting enough lutein and zeaxanthin and astaxanthin in your, in your diet. Those are the carotenoids. 
And then also the herbs bilberry and um, taurine, which is an amino acid, vitamin A, vitamin C. So eating a plant-based diet with lots of antioxidants is the way to go. But specifically in answering your question, absolutely, I think MSM could penetrate to the anterior chamber. All right, I want to take a question from a listener. This is a gentleman from Spain, and he's concerned about his uh, daughter who has uh, been diagnosed with myopia, and his name is Palamo. Hey, Palamo, welcome to the show. So this is what he writes. I would like to know if the protocol you list on your website for nearsightedness is, av- is advisable for children. My daughter's condition is alarming, and it's increasing quite a bit. She was diagnosed with a minus 1.75 diopters at six years old, and now she's 11 years old, and she's measuring minus six and minus seven diopters. We followed the advice of wearing ortho-K lenses at night to stop progression, but it has not worked at all, and she now refuses to wear them. We have several books about yoga for the eyes and others, but I cannot find a clear protocol to follow. Could you kindly advise us? Yes, well, definitely. You know, myopia in children, just like a few questions ago, uh, sometimes uh, this is like trying to uh, stop a dam, you know, using a dam of water that's rushing down the stream. You know, if children are really hooked into, you know, reading and close work uh, nowadays, the digital time, it's definitely going to be more challenging to uh, slow down the progression of myopia. But we have to think of myopia as a constriction or a contraction of the eyes, and it's almost as though the eyes live in a visual confinement uh, situation. And when you go to the eye doctor and the eye doctor is measuring a lens prescription for distance, that prescription is going to be too strong for the reading. So a very easy intervention is to ask the doctor to whatever the distance prescription is, can he or she offer a second prescription in single vision that the child would use for all of the near point work? So let's say, for example, you know, minus six, minus seven, somewhere in that range. Probably you're looking at maybe prescribing something like a minus five, minus 550. um, And that would be a way to at least slow down the progression of myopia. If you have uh, a child wearing that reduced prescription for the close work, that's, that's a really easy intervention. The working distance is important, so measured from the knuckle to the elbow, we call that the Harmon distance. Um, you know, that should, distance should be somewhere between 12 to 14 inches from the face so that a child should be holding their books or reading materials, iPad, uh, no closer than that distance. Otherwise, it's going to induce more nearsightedness. Now, beyond that, on my Eye Clarity Nearsighted program, with children, it's difficult in that you've got to get them to buy into that they want to do the eye therapy. Uh, this is why a lot of times when I do therapy with kids, 
that we do a lot of uh, gross motor, big muscle coordination movements. Um, we also do a lot with different kinds of perceptual games. So we make it more uh, enjoyable so that we can get the therapeutic value, but it's not the same thing as what we would do with adults. So Palamo, you could certainly try some of the exercises. And, and if there were a few that your daughter liked doing, I would just focus on those and not try to just do the 90-day program. Because what's most important here is to get your daughter to realize the intensity and the tightness that she's bringing, in her, bringing to her eyes. That is the most important thing. And the exercises are there to help people understand that habit, because basically myopia at this stage is a reaction or a response to our demand, but we're responding in a very tunneled, tense, uh, focused way, almost too much focus. Orthokeratology is a technique that some eye doctors use where they prescribe hard contact lenses to be worn at bedtime, and that actually begins to change the shape of the cornea in the evening. So then in the morning, when you wake up and you take those contacts out, you can have a day of clarity because the lenses are reshaping the eye. It's difficult because it is not the most comfortable thing to go to bed with a hard lens in your eye, and it's not really changing the cause of what's, uh, you know, what's behind the myopia. So it's very much a symptom approach. And you have to, again, get people to buy into it. But they're going to be dependent on this procedure. And they're not really changing anything from the inside out. There are other things that I could say about myopia in that in myopia, especially in children, uh, the, the, ten the tendency is that they can be more sedentary. They like to sit. They don't move a lot. And if we rewind uh, all the way back to prenatal development, uh, starting in the gestation period, this is a place where our eyes and our ears start um, interacting with each other as it relates to the body, as we float in the amniotic fluid. This is also a time when we develop something called the primitive survival reflexes. These are very early movement patterns that start developing in utero through birth, and they begin to uh, go away at about age one. These reflex movements are critical for children to move through as they begin to integrate their body with their eyes. And... The primitive reflexes help uh, a newborn adjust to being out into the world. There are survival mechanisms, our survival responses. One of the famous primitive reflexes called the Moro reflex, which is our startle reflex, being able to go into a store and not getting overwhelmed or going into a crowd and having enough self-regulation to say, I can stay centered in myself. People with myopia, especially children, what that is saying is that uh, your daughter has not integrated the primitive reflexes. And the moral reflex, the tonic labyrinth reflex, uh, these reflexes are uh, still overpowering or running the brain. You know, these are reptilian reactions. This is what the primitive reflexes are about. But they should integrate 
at about age one. Now, if they don't, for whatever reason, and we'd have to, you know, ask some questions on the developmental scale of, you know, what happened in those early times, because it was at that stage that your daughter went into some hypervigilance into her eyes because her perception was she didn't feel safe with what was going on in the world. And it's not something you did. It's just her perception. And so she reacted by putting the hypervigilance into her eyes. And this is the start of myopia. So if you want to get to the root cause, the best thing to do is to start with the primitive reflexes, make sure those are integrated, and then start working with the inner ear eye balance. We call that the vestibular visual connection. And then we do a lot of gross motor exercises to help uh, integrate the bilateral right, left, front of the body, back of the body, top of the body, bottom of the body, so that our gross motor skills are really integrated so that then a person can move into the fine motor area, the eyes as an example, but they're not doing so from a fear, hypervigilant state. So this is a progression of exercises plugging in developmentally where your daughter may be in her vision. And I suspect she's way back in her visual development and the myopia is an adaptation for her to try to deal with the in intensive demands of school. And uh, so what she's doing is she's becoming myopic as a way to deal with the, uh, the stress that's on her, but she hasn't really integrated the primitive reflexes and the early motor patterns. There's one other point about the motor patterns is that we have to do the eye physical therapy with children in a way where we're uh, developing visually guided and visually directed movements, uh, but we're bringing our vision in with our body. So it isn't just we're making movements, but bringing the eyes in with the body is the most important thing in the therapy. So those are the generalities, the specifics of what you have, what you're dealing with. And, uh, you know, at some point, maybe we should do a consultation because um, we could zero in to find out exactly what, um, what is the development of the visual system and what are the causes of the myopia. So thank you so much for the question. Um, I really appreciate it. All right, this last question is from a listener. Um, her name is Ion, or Leon, and she's writing in about, uh, at five years old, she had a condition called herpetic keratitis, which left uh, on the center of the pupils on the left eye something called a cicatrice. And a cicatrice is like a blister or scar tissue that's accumulated or a wound. So this is on the cornea. And then years later, she was in military service and uh, she was exposed to uh, outdoor exposure, you know, as we are in the wind and the sun. And the herpetic keratitis returned. So she was treated by a doctor who specializes in corneal transplants. And that was discussed about, you know, uh, getting a new cornea. And she's writing me because she wants to know if there are any other suggestions I might have. Well, the cornea is the clear window of the eye. It's made of mostly collagen. Uh, 
the, the cornea is a very sensitive part of our eye. And when we develop something like herpes or inflammation of the cornea, that's, that was what she developed, it creates a weakness in the, the, the corneal layers. And the cornea, it's very easy for the cornea to have some scar tissue occur because the cornea is what we call an avascular uh, structure, meaning that the, um, the nutrients that the cornea receives, it has to come indirectly. There are no blood vessels that run directly through the cornea. So it's very susceptible to uh, getting, you know, oxidative stress, inflammation. Um, about a year and a half ago, I wrote an article which was published in Mind Body Green that you might want to read, and it's, it talks about something called the ocular microbiome. And the microbiome is the good bacteria, the healthy bacteria in the body. There's a lot of press around it in terms of our gut. And we talk about the microbiome and probiotics. And, but in this uh, post that I wrote about, uh, researchers discovered that the eye may have really good bacteria as well, an ocular microbiome. And there were some sh suggestions on what we can do to increase the microbiome in the eye. Well, uh, one of the things I would say that you, you could start right off the bat would be using the MSM eye drops. I think that uh, with any corneal insult, whether it's corneal dystrophy, uh, you know, wounds of the cornea, scar tissue, things like what you've been going through, I would start in with the 5% MSM and I would do that four to six times a day. I would get the herb Eyebrite and I would do some compresses over the eye, uh, brew up the tea and then let it cool and then use a, a cool compress over the eyes uh, several times a day as well. This will be very soothing and rejuvenating. I would also consider uh, homeopathic eye drops and use those quite frequently. And I would start really boosting your eye nutrients. So this would be things, whether you're going to get this through a supplement or foods, these are the things you need to take. The Bs, vitamin B, uh, especially riboflavin, uh, has been shown to be helpful in improving corneal health. Vitamin A, um, vitamin C, vitamin E. So your fats and oils are very important just generally. In addition to vitamin E, omega-3 fatty acids, you should probably be taking 1,000 to 1,500 milligrams a day of omega-3 fatty acids. And then things like taurine, bilberry, quercetin, um, lutein, zeaxanthin, astaxanthin. I would be boosting the antioxidants in your eyes so that you're really getting a lot of... Um, nutrients there. This is going to neutralize the, uh, the effects of oxidative stress, which has no doubt affected you. I would also do my physical eye therapy program. I would do it for the dry eye, even though you don't have dry eye necessarily. But doing those exercises will increase the eye lymph, that'll increase the eye circulation. And these are all things that will help support the cornea. You might consider getting some acupuncture. You might consider going to a functional medicine doctor and finding out uh, what's behind the, um, the
the challenge in your immune system, the fact that you did get this herpes uh, way back when and then it reoccurred, you may need to do some things to boost your immune system, change your diet, reduce your stress. Uh, I mean, this is a lifestyle consideration. You know, I always say that whatever's going on in the eyes, there's a systemic and metabolic reason uh, that's influencing the eye health. And in this particular case, uh, trying to do something very uh, extreme like a corneal transplant, uh, I would do these other things first before you uh, embark on that uh, very, very um, intensive procedure. And, you know, with corneal transplant, you're being challenged to say, oh, can I really, um, you know, take this new cornea and integrate it into my body without the blurry vision and the distortion? I did a, uh, a podcast. Um, you'd have to look for it on my website. It's on corneal health. And I talk about many different things that are needed to improve our corneal health. So you might want to listen to that podcast. That, that was a, a real, um, a, it's a real popular one because people are suffering conditions like yours and they're not really told that there may be alternative complementary therapies that can be done. So I hope that's uh, helpful to you. Um, I really appreciate the question and the fact that you're listening. And uh, thank you so much. So that's our show for today. Again, awesome to be with you. Um, we've got lots of questions coming in, so um, uh, keep sending them to me. And I'm, I'm really enjoying my interaction with you. And uh, until next time, take good care. You're listening to a podcast with Dr. Sam Byrne. To learn more about his seminars and workshops, visit his website, www.drsambyrne.com. The Byrne Method is a trademarked signature of Dr. Sam Byrne for his workshops, seminars, books, and DVDs. The information presented in this podcast is in no way intended as a substitute for receiving professional medical care. The design and purpose for this podcast is to provide information for educational purposes only. Dr. Byrne and his guests have no liability or responsibility to any person or entity for loss, damage, injury caused, or allegedly caused through the information, exercises, suggestions, explorations, or written responses presented in this podcast. Dr. Byrne is not a medical authority and his guests are not qualified to diagnose or treat any disease or health problem. This podcast is not a substitute for medical care. Dr. Burns' information is only his personal opinion. If you have any health problem, please seek medical care for whatever condition you may have.